This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, good morning and welcome to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio with Charlie Dobbin, aided and abetted by yours truly, Dean Holland. How are you this morning, Charlie Dobbin? I'm very well. We look like a couple of crazy little dancing daisies during the uh, the intro music to this wonderful garden show. But that is the custom. I learned that when I started with you a little over a year and a half ago, that that was the custom, right? That's what you do. That's what we do. That's how we get ready to go to start talking gardening as we dance. It's like the seventh inning stretch before you start. You just kind of get the blood pumping. Yeah, for sure. Daisies waving in the wind. Yeah, well, I got to tell you, I've been up and about since just after five. That's that's when my clock goes off, even when I don't set my alarm. And uh, we've been enjoying some rain here in the Collingwood area for about the last hour and a half, two hours. And it's a nice, gentle rain. So it's just soaking into the ground beautifully. And the robins are dancing around so happy, I'm sure, yeah. as well. Here, it's overcast. The heat wave seems to have broken. So I'm in Prince Edward County. We're only running, I think, 19 degrees right now, which is amazing. That's the first time we've been below 20 in about uh, five or six days. Mm-hmm. It has been very, very steamy up here in the Collingwood area, too. And I know in the GTA, they've been doing, you know, dealing with the same thing, for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know what I want to do? I want to give out the numbers, uh, and then we can keep chatting, but uh, we would love for you to give us a call with any gardening question. It could be an inside gardening question. It can be an outside gardening question. It can be a transplanting or a pruning question. And, oh, my goodness, it can can even be, although I don't recommend this, it could even be an amaryllis question, but let's not really – we don't have to go there. But what the heck, eh? Um, The numbers – We'll talk about anything. We will talk about anything. Yes. <laughs> the number to call if you live in Toronto is 416-360-0740. Or if you live outside Toronto, anywhere else in this beautiful province of Ontario, one 740 4740 There we are. And uh, what have you been doing in your garden this week, Charlie? What's going on? Um, Did you dig up the garlic yet? No, I've been sitting in the shade looking at it. <laughs> I'm looking at the garlic. I cannot, I do not abide hot, humid weather well. Uh, I know some people thrive in it and get very energized. I, on the other hand, feel the opposite. So honestly, I'm trying to think, what have I, well, you know what, uh, what I call whippersnipping or, you know, um, trimming the lawn, the the edges, et cetera, of the lawn. That's kind of a a daily activity here because it's such a big property. It's, you know, I go through one battery charge, which takes about 25 minutes, and then I put it away till the next day, and then I keep going. And it's kind of every day I do some whippersnipping, it seems. But, um, yeah, weeding, I mean, the rain here has been lovely, but the weeds have been loving it. So we're at, you know, really like gargantuan uh, Jurassic Park feeling uh, green, mushy leaves. Not yep. so much 
everywhere weeds, but you know, they're coming up hither and yon and Elliot takes his lawn very seriously. So he's been out there digging dandelions and I've been out there pulling. We have milkweed, a lot of milkweed and lots of monarch butterflies. I'll say that I have some pretty cool wildlife happening in my yard right now, which is nice. The, the monarchs, they love that milkweed, don't they? It's the only thing they eat and they're the only ones who eat it. So I've got swallowtail butterfly larvae on my parsley. Actually, they've just left. They've just gone to pupate. Mm-hmm. And I've also got monarch larvae at all sizes, tiny, tiny ones and bigger ones eating milkweed and butterflies floating around laying eggs. So yeah, yeah, things are happening. And the, the little tree frogs have come back to my, my porch. So they're living on my porch again, eating the insects every night. When the lights are on and the insects are there, the frogs get very fat and happy. Beautiful. Well, I am, well, hopefully not fat, but I'm happy. I'm happy that we're doing the garden show. We are going to pause now. We have to hear some important and appreciated messages. And when we come back, we will have much more here on the garden show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got the garden show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, we are back here on the garden show. And Charlie, my goodness. My goodness, I forgot to do a couple of things when we started today. I was so like, I was so like excited by your stories about fat frogs and about your trimming and all that, that I forgot to tell everybody that, of course, we want you to let Carlos know if you're a first time caller and I will give you your garden wings. And also uh, we want you to call off and call early and one question per call, please. I'm going to repeat that one. One question per call, please. <laughs> there we are. Okay. Let's go to our first caller. We have John, who is calling from Georgetown. Welcome to the Garden Show. John? I have several sunflowers, and something is eating the sunflower leaves. They look like lace. Okay. Uh, What's eating? Could be all kinds of things out there right now eating. Uh, Could even be Japanese beetles. Like, there's a lot of hungry critters out there lacing the leaves. Uh, The main thing is, are you growing the sunflowers uh, for the seeds or just because they're beautiful or what's your intention with the sunflowers? Just that they're nice, beautiful plants. I have yes. about uh, three or four groups of them in the yard and mm. uh, two of them have really almost been destroyed by something. By something. Okay, yeah, I mean, even earwigs could be eating the leaves, though they do tend to prefer flowers. What I would do, have you inspected closely? Have you seen any evidence of any insects? No. I've checked in the daytime, at nighttime, and so on, and I've never seen anything around them. Hmm. Okay, so that's always a bit challenging because the insecticides that we have available, like a soap solution Mm -hmm. or, you know, bug-be-gone kind of a pyrethrin solution, all of those are based on contacting the insect. So you Mm -hmm. need to have an insect evidence to coat it with the insecticide in order to kill it. So that can be a bit challenging if you see no insects on there. Um, just trying to think what else you could do. Uh, I mean, because I know I've got the same kind of thing going on. Now, what I would suggest you do is take another look at the sunflowers and double check because you've got older leaves at the bottom and newer leaves at the top. In my um, property, I've got leaves that have turned to lace by insects, um, a birch tree, for example, where there's no tissue in the leaves, but there's lace left behind. 
But that was a couple of weeks ago. And now the new growth is fine. It's all beautiful leaves. So just double check. It is possible that what was destroying your sunflowers has moved on and that the new growth is fine. There's nothing to kill. I mean, there's no reason to race around. If you feel better getting some soapy solution out, you can use it. It won't hurt the plant. But if there's no insects there, it won't hurt them either. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's the kind of thing you got to kind of watch the plants, just make sure that if the new growth is fine, you've pro we've probably moved on from that insect and, and there's nothing to worry about. Okay. Okay. Let me know. Thank okay. You. Good Good luck with those sunflowers. I love sunflowers. I saw a bunch the other day in the store. And I didn't buy them, but I saw them. They were about three different colors. So they were, they were yellow, a red one. And now, have they been manipulated some way? No, no. They've just been selected for different colors. It's like corn, right? Think of all the colored corn you can get. I mean, I'm growing uh, carrots that are purple yep. and white and orange and yellow. So it's not there's no GMO when it comes to vegetables or, or okay. ornamental plants. So don't ever worry about that um, because GMO or genetically modified um, research and development requires billions of dollars and nobody wants to spend that kind of money on sunflowers or corn or carrots right. so that yeah the gmo manipulation happens with crops but not horticultural crops so that's just something to to mention when we have interesting different uh plants out there it's just selection it's breeding and selection okay now the reason i asked is because probably about two months ago i picked up a a bunch of springy looking flowers and they were they were bright blues and greens and oranges and all that and of course then all the water turned this dyed color and i thought oh <laughs> they've done something to those flowers they yeah. dyed them right yeah that's sorry that's a different kind of manipulation it's just food okay. coloring okay. yeah you take white um, white mums are a classic, right? Because they're yeah, I think that's what they were. Yeah. Poofy flowers. So you take your white flowers, you set up little um, vases with different colors, bright blue, bright orange, whatever, red. You do a fresh cut on the cut flower into the beautiful dyed water. And of course, the plant ends up with some of that beautiful dye inside it. Okay. So it's like it's like Easter eggs. Yeah, kind of, yeah. It's like the same. Okay. Okay. Well, that's why I wondered when I saw those sunflowers, I thought, I wonder if they've done a similar thing, no. but it didn't, it didn't actually look like that. I think there was orange, yellow, and red. They were all in the, in the uh, like beautiful burnt, you know, sort of rusty colors. They were great. I love sunflowers too, but I don't need to plant them because the chipmunks do it for me. Nice. Yeah. So they're, they're very clever. Those chipmunks, they, they collect the sunflowers from beneath the bird feeders. And instead of just eating them right away, they carry them in little bunches. They'll plant like six seeds at a time in huh. different parts of the garden, uh, in my pots with my tomatoes and my cucumbers there. I have sunflowers all over the place. <laughs> yeah. One day they're going to, you're going to hear a little knock on your door and so one of those chipmunks is going to be there with a little invoice and say, here you go. We're here, <laughs> here to get payment. <laughs> no, I let them grow. They, they, um, they harvest the seeds. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay. I uh, have to take another break. We will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. 
Yes, we are back here on the Garden Show on Zuma Radio. And uh, it, it may be raining where you are. It may not. Uh, it's hard to say. It's kind of been one of those weeks. It's been overcast. The sun's been trying to break through. It's been a real mixed bag this week. It's pretty overcast at my house right now. I don't see a lot of people outside. I think it's, yeah, one of those watch the weather days. Yeah, for sure. Okay, uh, we have uh, Evelyn on the line, and Evelyn is uh, calling from Toronto. Welcome to the Garden Show, Evelyn. Well, thanks so much, Dean, and good morning, both of you. Uh, Charlie, thank you for replying to my uh, email about replacing a birch tree with a katsura. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're not concerned about the price of the tree. It was the pre- the quote that we got around removal of the tree. It's about 40 years old, and we want to de-stump as well. So I was just wondering if you had any um, any recommendations, references uh, for people that do that type of work. We've had two quotes so far. Okay, so um, when you're in a situation where particularly you want a dead birch or a dead large tree removed from your property and you want the stump removed, so they don't really remove it, they grind it, right? The stump grinder is like a chainsaw that goes under the ground the length of the saw, so that's about 10 inches, and just chews up the stump from ground down the length of the blade and that allows you to create a garden over that stump or whatever but the roots and stuff are all still there what i would do it's it's specialized equipment that's required and it's also a skill bringing down dead trees is a skill not just anybody can do it safely so you've got a couple of options one is the international society of arboriculture so i s a is the acronym and i think just google either you know international society of arboriculture but i think it's just isa.org and that can take you to local arborists so in your area arborists who are in a position to own the equipment and very efficiently remove that birch i think planting a brand new tree probably like you say isn't your biggest challenge it's more the uh, elimination of the dead tree um i know back when elliot and i first moved to richmond hill 30 odd years ago there were a couple of dead birches on the property and you know it is hard and you're you kind of broke when you first move into a house so we i don't know how it all started but we started digging out some junipers that i hated and then before you knew it the the neighbors all came out with come-alongs so a come-along is a kind of a winch so different neighbors different come-alongs attached to other trees and hydro poles. It was pretty interesting. And we pulled out the birches, uh, you know, just one little cinch at a time. They came down because they were dead. And so dead trees are easier to get out than live trees. But so there's that if you've got, you know, the brute force of some folks to help you. But um, otherwise, yeah, it really is. It's a chainsaw and then a stump grinder you're looking for. So ISA or landscapeontario.org for local, uh, you know, certified folks. Okay, thank you. And how quickly does that tree grow, uh, the Petsura? Oh, it grows quickly. It's uh, If it gets sufficient water, because it does like its water, uh, you'll get, you can get up to a meter a year growth wow. from that okay. plant. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. And so you called it a come-along winch? Yeah, a come along is another term for uh, a kind of winch, uh, and it's just a handy way to, to slowly but surely either remove. Like it's people, they use them for straightening up trees, but you have to stabilize it against something that's stable, right? Um, okay. Yeah, so 
Uh, yeah, I'm not sure who you've got in your family who could help or something like that. I mean, these are tools no. that you do need to understand how they work. But uh, it is a very effective way to uh, to get some work done that, you know, we just unless you've got the old donkeys or oxen in the in the barn to help you with this kind of thing, uh, right come along as a corner. handy thing. Yeah, yeah. If not, I'll come out and see if you have any. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, thank you. Thank you and good luck with that, Evelyn. And uh, Charlie, I looked up that uh, that website and it's actually, it is isa-arbor.com. And that is the organization that you were talking about. But is that? That's the International Society of Arbicultural. But is that the Canadian site? Um, I don't know. I looked up some of the, I was looking at isa.org. Some of the other, just on its own, and I wasn't yeah. finding it, so I just, uh, yeah. I apologize. Yeah. I thought, uh, but uh, I just. Yeah, because it, it's an international organization, so it'll have different websites for different countries. Right. Okay. And, uh, so that's why I was just wondering if. Okay, we can always check at the break, too, yeah. but uh, yeah, that's uh, no the one that I found there. Okay. Um, we can go to our next call. Now, we're going to Mississauga. I, I do apologize. It looks like Lessick on the phone. Is that correct? Good morning. Welcome to the Garden Show. Good morning. 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 How are you? I'm pretty well. It's raining here, but uh, that's good. Um, I have uh, my question is related to the to the maple tree. Uh, a few years ago, uh, it started to grow on, on its own in our front lawn. It's uh, in the shadow of a huge mulberry tree, uh, but still gets a lot of sun. Uh, sun. Uh, the question is that uh, all leaves, uh, I think it, it started this year, all leaves are covered with, uh, with the white spots, uh, like uh, totally covered with white spots. <laughs> uh, the spots are diameter of quarter inch, and uh, I don't know why it happened and how to treat it. Okay, it's a great question. Um, okay, two things. So a maple tree that started from seed, uh, but you said it's in the shade of a, a large mulberry tree. So make sure that this is a maple tree that you really want because <laughs> some maples are more, um, you know, are slower growing and hardwoods and beautiful trees, some than others. So you don't, uh, I would not allow Manitoba maple to grow on my property. Silver maple, I would be a little hesitant. And for sure, Norway maple would be low on my list as well. So if you want to take a picture of that maple tree and send it to me, I can help you identify what kind of maple it is. Uh, like a picture of, you know, a good close up of the leaves and the plant. What's happening to it now is powdery mildew. The conditions this summer have been optimal for the growth of fungus and powdery mildew looks like somebody from the sky has pulled out the baby powder and sprinkled white powder on the leaves of our plants. Many, there's many, many species that are affected by powdery mildew, lilacs, serviceberry, maples, and uh, monarda, also known as bee balm. These are all really commonly flocks. They're very commonly susceptible to powdery mildew, particularly if they're not in full sun. So remember, a full, sunny, airy, open location <clears throat> slows down the growth of mildew. 
okay. anywhere in many of our yards. Of course, we have fences. We have lots of plants. So we have dead air. We don't have a lot of good air circulation. And sometimes we don't have great sun penetration either. And that's the condition that leads to mildew. I wouldn't worry about it. It's not going to kill any plants. It's not, it doesn't look nice. <laughs> it's what we call unsightly. But uh, it won't kill the plants. It'll just look unsightly for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. You can go out and pick the leaves off. Do not put them in your composter into the, the brown paper bags at the end of the driveway off the property. Um, but in the meantime, you know, you can just leave them alone. But then in the fall, make sure you do a good cleanup. You do not want to keep the spores of the mildew on your property if you can avoid it. Mm -hmm. So at this uh, moment, at this time, I don't need to do anything with this. Uh, do nothing you can do. In the future, you can prevent powdery mildew when the conditions are like they've been this summer. And what you would do is you would spray a fungicide every every time there was about a 48-hour window before a rain, which would have been tough in the Toronto area because it's been raining so much. You cannot cure fungal diseases, but you can prevent them. I understand. Thanks. So, am I? Uh, can I? Could I send you a picture of this tree for uh, to uh, cell phone uh, or to mailing? Uh, can you please yeah, provide sure. an email or? Yeah, exactly. You use your phone and take some great photos. Dean is going to tell everybody my email address, so that gives you a minute to grab a pen and a paper to write it down. You got it. Yes, uh, Charlie's email is C, as in Charlie, dot Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. Okay, C dot Dobbin at mzmedia.com. Uh, great way if you want to send a picture to Charlie. Uh, not, not of yourself, of course, but, you know. <laughs> or you could be with your plant anyway, like a selfie with a plant, you know. There we <laughs> sure. go. Um, hey, also, um, Charlie, I did I did some more searching. I did some more yeah. sleuthing while you were talking. And the website that you're looking for is isaontario.com. That's so that's right. what we needed, ISO Ontario. So oh, it's the I same organization, but it's the Ontario <clears throat> chapter. Yeah, yeah, I-S-A. Um, so Icicle Sam Apple ontario.com that's what that is what you want the website for finding a certified arborist to do any kind of tree work on your property gotcha and i know exactly the equipment that you're talking about for the stumping because uh in the adjacent property to us uh they had an ash tree which they had to take down because of the ash disease and um exactly. and so they they came down and took that and then i watched this gentleman and you're right it's like a chainsaw on a on a on a lever that you just you, you know and so uh, since he was there we had a few on our property that needed done and so i went over and i said you know when you're done that he said yeah 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 so uh, we just paid him to come onto our property and do the same thing while he had the equipment out. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, it's yeah. actually, when you mention ash, remember it's the emerald ash borer, which has been killing all the ashes. So it's not okay. a disease. It's actually gotcha. an invasive insect from overseas. And it's, you know, it's just devastated all the, the native ashes, not the mountain ash, but all the native ashes. And it's, it's quite disheartening actually though i it this too shall pass but right now there's just a lot of dead ash standing uh mm -hmm. in the, here in the county so when you drive it almost feels a bit otherworldly like you know like a war ravaged or something just a lot of barren dead trees yeah in the next 10 or so years a lot of them will drop 
and new trees will grow and we'll forget about ash trees ever having existed other than the few that survive. But uh, right now it's not very pretty. And I know in the more urban environment, yes, you must remove those trees because they do become a danger. Right. Uh, okay, we have um, we have lots of room on the line, so give us a call with your gardening question. The Toronto number is 416-360-0740, or if you live anywhere else in the province of Ontario, here's the number you want to use because it's toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. We are now going to go to Elizabeth, who's been patiently waiting on the line. Elizabeth is calling from Scarborough. Welcome to the Garden Show, Elizabeth. Good morning. Um, my four orchid plants have finished booming and i'm wondering is there any special that long stem is um kind of ugly can you cut it off because i noticed that the last time it bloomed it seemed to sprout a uh you know a a flowering stem from halfway up that stem (laughs) well exactly which is why i hesitate to cut off the flower stem that you said is quite ugly. Yeah. As long as it's green, I'd leave it alone. <clears throat> okay. If it's it, eventually, if no more growth is going to come from it, it'll turn brown and then eventually black and it'll fall off naturally. So okay. just keep an eye on it. As long as it's green, leave it alone. Any brown or black tips, anything like that, you can trim. Okay. Now, is there any anything, um, I mean, I'd, I'd don't expect they'll bloom for, what, uh, six months or so? No, orchids can bloom nonstop. They're like African violets. You okay. provide the right the right world for them, the right moisture, nutrient, you know, light levels, etc. Um, they can bloom nonstop. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Now, is there, so while there there's no flowers, is there any, um, um, you know, regiment for watering? Uh, it's the same as it would be when they're flowering. Um, it's interesting you bring this up because Dean was asking me what I did all over this last week and I, I was avoiding going outside. So one of the things I did is I we collect the water from our dehumidifier. So I've got pails of beautiful, clean water that comes out of the air. Yeah. And I put orchid fertilizer into my pails and I dunked all my orchids into the water right under. So the pot right under the water, the pot, the leaves, no flowers on them right now, but right under till all the air bubbles came out. Then I drained the pots so there's no water, you know, water stopped pouring out of them and put them back into their eastern location. So, yes, you can fertilize and a really thorough watering, a dunking like that is one of the best things you can do for your orchids. Oh, okay. Thank you very much, then. So I, I can expect them to bloom again. You know, the amaryllis I put outside, and uh, <laughs> I'll bring it in in the fall, but uh, yes. uh, I wondered about the orchids, so uh, they're they're just okay oh. to sit in the window. Okay. Oh, for sure. Yep, yep. You just, just give them, like I said, that thorough watering. It's because orchids don't grow in soil. They've got moss yes. or bark or something. Yes. So by putting them right underwater like that, you eliminate all the air that's in between the, the particles of media and you fill all those uh, pockets where there was air with water, uh, clean, fresh nutrient rich water and then tilt the pot so that it drains and oh i tell you my orchids right now are purring wow now tell me what what is so it almost looks like roots that are growing outside is that what they are i mean there's these yes. uh, light green um yes. some of them are four or five inches long yes 
They are roots and they do okay. need them. That orchids, orchids are not what we call terrestrial plants. That's why they're not growing in soil. So that's okay. why you see roots above ground. They are, in, they're very different. They've evolved very differently from many other plants and are able to absorb some of their needed <clears throat> nutrients from the air. Uh, they, plants need air as well, of course, as as the obvious, uh, you know, nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium. So uh, let those let the roots thrive above ground. They should be light green, and they yes. should have almost a silver yes. uh, sheath on them. They do. Yes. Perfect. Perfect. That's exactly what you want. Okay. Now uh, the other, I have one that has a little uh, plant growing um, sort of at the end of of uh, one of these sprouts, and it, it's forming Sweet. leaves and everything else. Now, should that be cut off and then planted in some whatever? Yes, that's a baby orchid, and yeah. yes, you need a little tiny pot. It could it's just be a little tiny clay pot or yeah. a proper orchid pot. And yeah, you need some, what I've been finding easiest work with these last few years is sphagnum moss. And you can buy moss in a small bag. Uh, garden centers at this time of year would have that sort of thing. Yeah, and you just pre-moisten the moss. Make sure you've got that little tiny pot. You just very carefully wrap a bit of moist moss around the roots and pop it into a pot and then put it there beside, it, beside its mother. And it, it too will grow. Okay. Okay. Right, thank you, very thank much. you so much, Elizabeth. Bye-bye. All the best with your orchids, your baby orchids, your big orchids, your... And she snuck in the amaryllis word. She did. She snuck <laughs> in the amaryllis word. I was like, holy cow. You Good for her. fell off your chair. I did. I just <laughs> fell off my chair. I loved it. Here we are in July talking about amaryllis already. <laughs> no, I've got lots of them outside. I've got like a whole nursery of amaryllis out yeah. in my backyard in pots. You know what? I... I am embarrassed to say this, but you know what? That call reminded me that I have not put my amaryllis outside, and I need to do that. I'm so silly. I'm just still sitting inside. Oh, I need to do that. Silly. Okay. I am remiss. Okay, we have to take our next break, but we will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, welcome back to The Garden Show on this. It's hard to believe, Charlie, the 29th of July, the last Saturday Garden Show in July. I know, it's hard to believe, but nice big long weekend next weekend. Yes, indeed. And it has felt, because of that heat, that we have been in the dog days of summer, hasn't it? It's felt like that. Yeah. I think we'll be getting a lot more mildew questions over the next few weeks. Yeah, because of all the moisture and the humidity. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Uh, well, to help people get us those questions, I'm going to give out the numbers again because we have uh, we have lots of room on the lines. We have open lines. 416-360-0740. That's the Toronto number or one 740 And we have a first-time caller on the line, Charlie. We have Susie, who is calling from Thornhill. Welcome to the Garden Show, Susie. Oh, thank you very much. I'm I'm pleased that you fitted me in. Uh, yeah, and I, I'm going to give you your garden wings. It's excitement here. <laughs> there we well, are. Woohoo! Bigger wings well, to get through this stuff. But anyway, I my daughter gave me a small cherry tree uh, five years ago, and it's been growing beautifully. It looks wonderful. And the past couple of years, it's been uh, 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 making uh, cherries on on the limbs. But the problem is. 
that the damn squirrels are getting up there before I can do anything and taking all my, my cherries. How, how do I prevent them from getting up and, and stealing all that stuff? Damn squirrels. Um, all right. If you, if you were a commercial cherry tree grower, cherry orchard, you would have a couple of uh, tricks up your sleeve. You uh, might use dogs to scare away squirrels. Oh, we have you, a dog. Do you have a dog? Yep. Yes, we do. Dogs can be quite helpful when it comes to keeping little varmints out of our out of our fruit. But of course, that means leaving the dogs out all the time. Yeah. Uh, of course, in, in if you get down to Niagara, when the grapes are ripening up and the birds want to steal the grapes, you're hearing cannons nonstop, big booming cannons to scare away the birds, and that can work with squirrels. So it's you know the old you don't have to necessarily pull out a shotgun, but it's the idea of loud noises to frighten them. Otherwise, back in the old days, they used to use nets. It was like big nets would get draped over the trees with a fine enough mesh that the squirrels can't get through oh. the mesh. Uh, the birds can still pick at some of your cherries, but uh, but the idea is just to try and protect them if, if you're really growing this as a crop. Oh, I know. I, I see a cherry. I go, to, go for it, and one of them grabs it and flies off onto another tree. Oh, no. Yeah, out. but as the cherry tree gets bigger, soon you'll have so many cherries, you, you'll be happy to share them. Well, <laughs> if I do, then I'll send you down some. How about that? Perfect. I love Ooh. it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, uh, thanks for the call, and good luck with your cherry tree there, Susie. Oh, thank you. I, uh, I, you I was it. just Thank you. Thank you. I was just picturing the way that Susie described that. I was just picturing her like in a tug of war with a squirrel over a cherry, you know, pulling <laughs> either side. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And of course, this brings to mind what I have been suggesting right from day one, uh, the uh, the garden show slingshot. You know, I've been oh. saying like this is how you, you know, you just sit there. You know. Yeah. And, and <laughs> be funny, have different size slingshot for different size pests. Yes. And we <laughs> could put... You have to know your pasts, too. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Sometimes people think, you know, there's a bee. Like, it's funny, like, sometimes we think something's bad when it's not, I think is my point. It's not not everything is as bad as we think. I mean, yeah. 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 Fair enough. Okay. Um, we can expand on that after if, if something comes to mind. I can see where your wheel's turning, you know, <laughs> know. trying to think of the best example. You you almost mentioned bees there. Are bee, like, I, I'm a big bee fan. Um, I don't know if you saw the little bit of foot. I posted about a 30-second video on Instagram a couple of weeks, about a week ago. And, uh, you know, a whole bunch of allium that we have. And I'm, I, I'm, I think in this, like, three or four square feet of allium, we must have had about 18 bees buzzing around. They were just having a party. They were loving that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm not scared by bees. And believe me, I was stung a number of times as a kid. But I think they're divine. And they're so important. Right, and I think the other thing is that we tend to call everything that's that's yellow and black a bee. Right, so there's, like, there's wasps. wasps. There's lovely, lovely little insect called a hoverfly, okay. and it looks like a tiny bee, but they hover. Yes. <laughs> so if you watch them, they're like little helicopters. They can literally hover and spot. They can even fly backwards, kind of like hummingbirds. So, um, I mean, that's my point, is that you, you've got to be good at recognizing what things are. Don't just kill anything indiscriminately because you think it's something when it's not. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we're really close to break, so let's do yeah. that now. And then we have a couple of callers on the line. We'll get to them right right in a few minutes. We'll be right back on The Garden Show. Fur 
and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yes, indeed, we do have The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin here on Zoomer Radio. And, uh, Charlie, we're going to go to our next caller, which is John from Mississauga. Good morning. Welcome, John. Good morning, uh, Dean. Good morning, Charlie. It's two, two weekends in a row, eh? Uh, yeah. It's not true, uh, Charlie. Um, I don't know if, if it can happen. Uh, last year, actually, I'm looking at my photos. On August, on, uh, around August, I had white lilies, and they were full of lilies. White lilies. This okay. time, they're all different color. They're all pink. Is it possible? Yeah, it is possible. That's that's interesting. Interesting they go from white to pink. It's usually the other way around. Most of the colored um, plants that change color usually go to white, in my experience. Gladiolas do this all the time. So what's going on there? Um, there's two sort of fil- – like I don't really know what's going on. I don't think anybody really knows. One argument is that in that mass of lilies you had last year, mm-hmm. some of them – were were like more vigorous than others. So this year, the vigorous ones have outgrown the less vigorous. So it appears like last year's lilies have turned color, but really what's happened is the the pink has predominated. They were the toughest, the biggest, the fastest growing. So they outgrew everybody else. So now you see a bunch of pink. Mm-hmm. The other argument is that the actual flowers did change color, but nobody really knows why. Because I tell you, Charlie, I, to be honest with you, I, if you don't mind, I will send you a picture from last August and this year. Sure. Maybe For minutes, sure. Happy to see it. If, if that's the case. Uh, yeah, I'm oh, happy to see it. It's, it, it, it's uh, always interesting when that happens. And, you know, good on you to, to see, to recognize that that's happening. Well, uh, because I, I'd rather have them white. My, my daughter-in-law gave me, you know, gave me around it. Now I have lots. You know, the same to be honest with you with the, with the day lilies. Mm-hmm. Now I have so many bulbs that next year I have to take them off because they're uh, they're taking over my roses and 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 my other uh, uh, flowers. Yes, exactly. And are we are we talking day lilies or lilies or both? Well, no, no. Uh, to, to tell you the truth, I put two things in there. Uh, yeah, they were lilies. They were white, and now they're yeah. they're sort of pinkish colors, right? And like okay. I said, probably that's what happened. Probably the, the um, I think that's what happened. Um, yeah. But in the meantime, on the other side of the patio, I have day lilies, and they are, geez, they, there is around maybe 15 of them in one, uh, in one group. Yes, but they are now. very I, prolific. Like if you don't and mind. They, I, I'll send you, you know, a picture from last yeah. August and this time. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Send me pictures. You know the email. C. Yes, Dobbin. Thank you very N- much. Always. Take care. Bye, John. Okay, th- thanks, John. Always <laughs> enjoy hearing from John. <laughs> and and that's a very that's an interesting uh, kind of happenstance that I they know. can change color like that. Well, that's the thing is, are they really changing color, or are they are there certain plants growing faster than other plants? Right. Right. Outgrowing them. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we have another first-time caller on the line. We have Joanna, and Joanna's calling from Muskoka. Welcome to the Garden Show, Joanna. Thank you. And I'm going to give you your garden wings before we go a step further. 
There you go. Gardening for Joanna. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. So my question is, I transplanted rhubarb from my house in Schaumburg to my new house in Muskoka, and I put the rhubarb in a sunny area, but it's on sort of like a downslope towards the water. So I'm thinking maybe the um, the soil might be too wet for it because it doesn't like it it grew but it's very spindly uh okay how much sun is it in uh it's like, like all afternoon like from it's it's um western right. facing okay so usually when you mentioned above the water so on a slope if anything it would be a dry it would be a fairly dry spot because the water would be moving down to the lake um, it, but it has been a fairly moist summer. So have, I'm not sure, but have you been getting the same kind of rain as Southern Ontario has? Yes. Yeah. Um, it, okay. So it's hard to say because every season is a new season. We know it just ensure that the rhubarb has the following, keeping in mind that Muskoka soil tends to be very rocky. It also tends to be very low pH because of all the evergreens and the decomposing needles that make up the soil on the Canadian right. Shield. So make sure that where that rhubarb was planted, you had supplemented the soil with a good quality organic-based soil. Could have just been one single bag of, you know, triple mix or, you know, even the black earth they sell at, at the grocery stores can be pretty good for supplementing Muskoka native soil. Um, and again, full sun, minimum six hours of sun daily. That better soil will help retain water if your water's if your soil is too well drained, but it'll also help drain if, if for whatever reason your soil tends to be a bit soggy. Um, so the main thing is, yeah, lots of sun, good air circulation, and a reasonably good soil and patience. The, the rhubarb will take a year or two to get established. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, it's um, right near where blue blueberry bushes grow. So I didn't know right. if that well, had so there you there you know if the blueberries are happy that's a low pH lower than what the rhubarb wants. Uh, so yeah. if it's really close to blueberries you're going to well the blue the rhubarb will figure it out or you may have to move it. You may have to move it somewhere and get some horticultural lime to raise the pH a tiny bit. A simple the uh, pH meter will help you find out what the pH is of the soil around the rhubarb. Blueberries love it down in the 6.4, 6 6.5, 6.2, mm -hmm. uh, whereas rhubarb wants it more like 6.8, 6.9. Okay. Okay. Thanks gotcha. for calling. Super. Yeah. Good thanks for the call, Joanna. And good luck with your rhubarb. Yeah. And uh, the callers today have made me think about rhubarb pie, blueberry pie, and cherry pie. I got them all in my brain now. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to talk about garlic pie. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't want garlic pie, but I want garlic. Yeah. When I so. get, once this rain lets up here and I, it dries out a bit, I have been putting off harvesting my garlic. So just to remind everybody, yeah. I'm sure that it's, we're well past uh, garlic harvest time for many of us. Um, wonderful website for those of you that are looking for more information, Garlic Growers of Ontario, one word, garlicgrowersofontario.com. So everything you ever want to know about garlic, it starts, it's pretty cute. The homepage starts with 
Garlic Growing 101, the Beginner's Reference Guide. And if you follow that down, it'll talk a bit about um, harvesting and then curing the, the garlic. So that's what I'm going to have to do. I don't have that much garlic, but it is time to get it out of the ground. You leave it too long, you lose quality. You harvest it too soon, you don't get as big a bulb as you would want. But gotcha. um, that, that was my Now, what happens if we just leave it in the ground? Will it grow again next year or will it rot? No, no, it should grow again, but you there'll be nothing harvestable. Um, mm. Because, yeah, you, yeah, you'll lose your crop if you leave it in the ground. It, it will probably keep growing, but it'll just be like a, like a, almost a, a bunch of garlic growing all too close together and none of it will do well. Yeah, you need to separate the cloves and plant them individually uh, in order to get good garlic uh, bulbs for the next year. Right. And, and and what is the in indicator quickly? Like when the scapes come up and they start curling around, is that generally when we start to harvest or a little bit oh, later? No, no. The, scapes, the scapes are the flowers. Yeah. But so I mean, is that the details? indicator as to when to pull them up or? No, no. no. You, you're um, removing scapes back in June, usually early June. Okay. Gotcha. Whereas we do our harvesting more in July second or third or even fourth week in july so how do you know when it's time to uh, harvest your garlic well the tips of the green leaves will start to turn yellow and when they do then you you keep an eye and you remember that you just want to watch once you've got the tips of three to five of the leaves turning yellow and then brown get out your digging fork and pop them up out of the ground smooth you know hand remove the soil and up into the air for curing nice okay that's my job thanks dean thanks carlos see you all again next week this has been an exclusive podcast of the garden show with charlie dobbin heard every saturday morning at nine on zoomer radio the new am 740 this podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.